Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another weekly Bible study. Wherever you are and whatever time you're listening to this, I pray that God would add his blessing to this time that we can set aside. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to get your Bibles out as we dive into this week's Bible study. Lord God, as we are in the season of Pentecost, preparing ourselves for the moment in the in the story of the church where we remember your spirit was poured out upon us. We thank you that Holy Spirit, you are present with each one of us, that even when we listen to this Bible study, no matter where we are, that Lord, you can be present with us all. Not only is it encouraging, Lord God, but it brings a sense of unity that the church of Christ can be united wherever we find ourselves. So may you give us uh, in this time of our Bible study just a few more words of encouragement and enlightenment as we gather around your holy scriptures. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to take us this afternoon to Lamentations chapter 3. Now some of you know exactly where that is. Others of you are wondering, is there even a book in the Bible called Lamentations? But just to help us, it's just after Jeremiah and before Ezekiel. So some of you may need to flip through the Bible to get there. The easiest way is obviously just to go to the table of contents and find it and then turn to that. So Lamentations chapter 3. So while you're looking for that, let me just mention and remind us that in the original Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written in, that the first four chapters of Lamentations are written in a poetic kind of way, and the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, used a form of poetry called an acrostic poem. A-C-R-O-S-T-I-C, acrostic poem. And what that really means is that he began each verse of each chapter with a different letter of the alphabet. So just uh, for introduction's sake, you'll see Lamentations chapter 1 and chapter 2. Both of them have 22 verses, as so does chapter 4. Now, some of you are bright sparks and you're saying to me, but Delm, we only have 26 letters in our alphabet. Why are 22? Well, the simple answer is that in the Hebrew alphabet, there are only 22 letters. Um, and you can Google that to have a look at that. But it starts with Aleph, goes to Bet, and all the way down to Tav, which is the last of the 22 letters. So in the original Hebrew, Jeremiah would have started off um, chapter 1 and chapter 2. First line would have been started off with the letter A, Aleph, and then Bet, and so on. So if we did it in our English uh, version, we would probably uh, write down the letters of the alphabet, say, down the left-hand side of the margin, and begin each line or each thought with a subsequent letter of the alphabet. And I think it's a, actually a wonderful experiment to do. Um, I've already challenged one of the Bible study groups to do this, is that in your own prayer time, you could list 26 attributes of God or things to thank God for, but it helps just to um, really define and crystallize our moments of prayer or, or worship as we do this. So this is what Jeremiah has done in Lamentations. The overriding theme for Lamentations is, as the word lament means, is a crying out to God because of the disaster and the destruction that has fallen 
uh, or befallen the Jewish nation. They had been destroyed by the Babylonians and they'd been taken away as captives and led into exile. And so Jeremiah, on behalf of the people, writes these words of lament. So you'll find that it's almost quite depressing at times, but in the middle of this, you will find great words of hope, great words of comfort, um, and certainly great words of promise. So we come now to Lamentations chapter 3. Now, if you have your Bible open there, some of you are gasping, I can see, because you suddenly realized that it's not 22 verses, but it's actually 66 verses. So don't worry, I'm not going to read all of those verses today, because if we do go through that, it's going to be an extra, extra long Bible study. But very simply, instead of only using one line with each letter of the alphabet, what Jeremiah does in this middle chapter of Lamentations is he goes all out and every third verse, so verse 1, 2, and 3, begin with the letter A for Aleph. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 are beginning with the letter, what we would call B for Bet, and all the way down. So essentially three verses for each letter of the alphabet. Um, this, this kind of form of poetry is used also in other parts of the Bible. You would remember, certainly used in the Psalms. Psalm 119 is perhaps the best example of that, as well as in Proverbs 31. So now that I've given you that very, very short background to, uh, to Lamentations, we're going to dive in to verse 22, which those of you who are good at maths would immediately be able to recognize that that is going to be the start of the eighth letter of the alphabet, which is Chet, C-H-E-T. And in these um, few verses, we see Jeremiah speaking to God, pouring out his heart, but also with some words of hope. Let me start from verse 22. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. So that verse, um, remember that there were some remnant of the Israelites who were still alive. Not everybody had been destroyed. And in Jeremiah's language, he's saying the only reason why there hasn't been complete destruction of the whole Israelite nation is because God, in his mercy, has kept some of them from this destruction. And he's tied this in with the overall theme of the fact that God's love can never end. And I think that's a, a wonderful uh, reflection for us today. We speak about infinity, that God's love, there's really no beginning and no end. It just is always there. Verse 23, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. This could tie in very easily with Jesus in the, the great prayer that he taught his disciples um, to say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's a reminder that each day God gives us his love, his mercy, his compassion. They are a gift to us, excuse me, each and every day. We could also draw a parallel, I suppose, with the Israelites' journey in the wilderness, where God provided not mercies each day, but actually manna every day for the people as they went through their time of, uh, of testing and trial in the desert. Verse 24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Now that word inheritance, we understand even in our own context, that normally an inheritance is something that you receive in the future. 
when a family member or a friend has left something to you when they when they have died it's that inheritance that is left for you but it's always in the future and so when jeremiah is saying the lord is my inheritance therefore i will hope in him it's it's a reminder that whatever lies in the future, whatever goodness lies in the future, it is going to come from God. And because of that knowledge, because of that hope, he's able to say, therefore, I will trust, I will hope in God. And it, it comes down to the basic understanding that no matter what happens around us, um, no, one, no matter what's happening around Jeremiah, he was still able to have this belief that God would deliver them and he would help them. Okay, we come to 25 now, which would be the uh, start of the next letter of the alphabet. And it starts like this. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. Now, in, in these two verses, um, the New Living Translation speaks about the sense of waiting, of patience, of waiting quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, in, um, in our own understanding, we, we get that, that there's the sense of trust, of being patient. But this word quietly is not just about the absence of noise. So when Jeremiah is saying it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, he's not meaning that literally we just sit and we don't speak and there's no surround noise in our lives. It actually is speaking a lot about choosing not to strive and to get anxious. I remind you of Psalm 46, which says, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. Now that, uh, in some translations, could say, Be quiet and know that I am God. It's, yes, it's a reminder to stop all the noise, to stop striving, and then to allow God to act and to intervene in our lives. But when you uh, look at other versions of that, and I'll take you to the paraphrase, the message by Eugene Peterson, that Psalm 46 verse 10, I always remember this, it's so beautiful. Eugene Peterson suggests these words. He says, get out of the traffic. And uh, I've used this in the sermons before, but it's that reminder to us that sometimes everything is so hectic, so busy, so much noise, so much going on, that what we need to do is actually just to pull over on the side of the road, to stop striving, to stop being anxious, and to wait for God to show up. Now, this is his message to the Israelites in the midst of their exile, in the midst of their trials. And so he is saying to people, look, I don't know when that salvation will come, but sometimes we must just be quiet to stop getting all worked up about it and to believe that God will show up and save the day. Then we go to verse 27 where he says, and it is good for the young to submit to the yoke of his discipline. Now the way I see that has to do with the different generations that have experienced the exile and probably as they spend longer and longer away from Jerusalem, the older generations are dying out, but that the younger people are growing up under a different form of discipline, different kind of lifestyle, and, and he is seeing this as a way of not only human discipline, but that God disciplining his people in a different format, that when we submit to that, that we will show some kind of, of growth. Verse 28, so this is now the next letter of the alphabet. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust. 
then at last there is hope for them. Let them turn the other cheek for those who strike them, sorry, to those who strike them. Let them accept the insults of their enemies. Now, again, this would find some connection with the words of Jesus. I think even as you heard these words about turning the other cheek, you should be reminded of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's very possible that Jesus got his very words from these, these um, words in the Old Testament. But it's a way of also reminding the Israelites and ourselves that sometimes we have to humble ourselves, just wait for the answers to unfold and to trust that God will, in, in these kind of insults, in these kinds of pain and humility, that God will still bring about what is best for us as his people. And the reason why Jeremiah can say that is because he's understood God's goodness in the past. And, and he moves on immediately into the next letter where he says, verse 31, For the Lord does not abandon anyone forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion according to the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. So these words uh, in verse 33, I think are a very helpful way for us to picture God because sometimes in the Old Testament, if we're honest, the image we get of God is of a God who's very angry, very vengeful, just wants to, you know, take out the uh, big stick and start sorting us all out. But Jeremiah is trying through the midst of the pain of the people to say, look, Yes, it may seem like God has abandoned us, and, and maybe in a moment he has, but this is not going to be forever. And although he allows grief or brings grief, he shows compassion according to the greatness of his unfailing love. I suppose if one were looking at this in terms of scales, that maybe the scale seems to be showing a lot of pain and a lot of despair, but it's almost like Jeremiah saying to people, well, don't give up because... God is going to balance the scales and the greatness of God's unfailing love and his compassion is going to right everything in it and it's actually going to bring everything back on the other side. And verse 33 is a confirmation of that where it says, God does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Jeremiah and many of the people in the Old Testament understood that God's way of correcting people or allowing discipline to take place was to allow their enemies to gain victory over them and to completely humble them. So in Jeremiah's understanding, he's saying, look, God is not enjoying this. It's not something that he, he wants to see, but he's allowing it so that people will return back to him. That's certainly how I have understood it, but I do love the fact that Jeremiah puts into our minds and our spirits this thought of God not really wanting to cause us sorrow. I'm going to skip over now, just for the sake of time, to another few interesting verses um, as we start slowly coming to a close. And this is found in, um, in verse, or let me, let me read from verse 53. 52. My enemies, whom I've never harmed, chased me like a bird. They threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. The water flowed above my head, and I cried out, This is the end. This is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the well, and you heard me. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. 
Yes, you came at my despairing cry and told me, do not fear. So these words from verse 52 to 57 actually are a um, part of a true story that happened to Jeremiah. If you read in Jeremiah chapter 38, if you have time, you'll see that Jeremiah was physically thrown into an empty well system where he was left to die in the mud and the muck at the bottom. His enemies decided that they, they wanted to accuse him falsely of a whole lot of things, and so he was thrown into this well. So he, he reminds the people of Israel in Lamentations chapter 3 that when he was in the darkest of places and the, the depth of places, things were literally flowing above his head. He called out to God and God said, I've heard your weeping. And he came to Jeremiah's rescue in a, in a very unusual way because it was actually the king who came to Jeremiah while he was in the well and asked him if God had revealed anything to him. But for the sake of time, go and read that Jeremiah 38. And, and I guess I want to draw a line or a parallel for us today that, friends, maybe we're not physically in a well or a cistern, we haven't been tossed there, but maybe for some of us, we feel like we're in that dark space again, um, things in over our heads, and we cry out, Lord, this is it. But remember, God is saying, I hear you. I hear you. I hear your weeping. I hear your pleading. And he's saying to us, do not fear. So maybe for one or two of us listening today or this evening, just use that as a promise. God's saying, do not fear. I get it. I understand where you're at, but help is on its way. Verse 58 is where I'm going to end today because this for me is the sign and also the promise of the help. Jeremiah says, Lord, you are my lawyer. Plead my case for you have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong they've done to me, Lord. Be my judge and prove me right. You have seen the plots my enemies have laid against me. This image of the lawyer links us from Lamentations chapter 3 with Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up this Sunday. Because you would remember, friends, that that word used in the Greek for the Holy Spirit, the word parakletos, is a word that's very difficult to translate into English, but we use the following words as, as good ways of trying to understand it. We'll use the word helper. We'll use the word comforter. We've used the word counselor. And another word we use is the word advocate. That These are all forms of how the Spirit works in our lives. And so if you imagine the Holy Spirit as the, as the lawyer, the advocate, the one who draws alongside us, this is what Jeremiah is actually saying. Lord, you are my lawyer. You have redeemed my life. Plead my case. And so I offer you this also as another reminder that no matter what you are going through, no matter what I'm going through, we can plead to God. We can say, Lord, please would your Holy Spirit, please would you as the Spirit of God be my lawyer, the one who stands alongside me. Remember, the lawyer is the one who represents us, the one who speaks on our behalf, the one who will, who will get us through this difficulty that we have to face. And so that is a wonderful promise for us today, friends. And Jeremiah gives us a beautiful insight into what was to come at Pentecost. So friends, I just offer you these thoughts today. If you have time, obviously, Lamentations chapter 3, read the whole of the chapter, all 66 verses. There's some beautiful imagery there. And like I said, if you want to do something for homework, 
Um, take a piece of paper or whatever you have at your disposal or your computer. Write down in English A, B, C, all the way down to X, Y, W, and Z. And then next to each one of those letters, maybe offer a word or a sentence that begins with that letter just as your prayer to God. And you'll find, certainly as I've found, that it's a beautiful way of just offering our worship to God. Come, let us pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you offer us hope in our time of affliction. And Jeremiah has testified to that again. That even when we lament and we call out to you, that you hear our weeping and you hear our cries. Lord, we continue to find ourselves in the midst of uncertain times with the COVID pandemic. Each week there is something new and something unfolds for us. But Lord, teach us just to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. And that although things around us may be shaking and crumbling, Lord, that you are our sure foundation. We ask you, Lord, to fill us with the gift of your Holy Spirit, the one who is helper, comforter, counselor, friend, and certainly advocate. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, friends. You're welcome to forward this on to anybody else, but may God bless you, and we'll chat soon. Amen.